Florence Wingo, who took us as a young married couple into their house and fed us country vegetables and let us fish in their lake and talked constantly about how, and I can still remember Rip Wingo's voice, how good God is. From there into our time in ministry, as God wove into our lives senior adults who loved on us and who served as surrogate grandparents for our children because we were so far away from family, all the way up until we watched that list pop up today. And I don't know if you wanted to cry, but I wanted to cry a little bit as those names rolled off and some of those precious saints who went to be with the Lord just this past year have left such a... Uh, a blank spot in the work that they've done and the love they gave and the place in our lives. So to come to you today and preach a message to our senior adults about senior adulthood is a privilege. So join me as we pray together. Father, thank you for weaving into my life so many seniors who loved you and still with us presently love you. Thank you for the influence, the encouragement, the strength, the rebukes that I needed, the wisdom poured in, the small acts of kindness that added up to huge impact in my life. And I want to praise you for that. And I thank you for how you use that in my life, in my family, and are still using it here in our congregation to mold and shape who we are. And so I pray for us as we move into senior adulthood, Lord, uh, that we would be good stewards of the time we have left and that we would do so treasuring Christ with joy. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Senior adulthood is not easy. I had joked about it for a long time in my life, and then I started becoming that, having passed the 55-year mark last year. And I was at McDonald's recently just about, I don't know, five or six months ago. Could have been a little bit more than that. And uh, I noticed that my coffee didn't cost as much. And I thought that strange if they were running some kind of special. So I looked at my receipt and it said, small senior coffee. I said, they've got my age and my size right here on this one receipt. (laughs) It was then that I realized that it's here. And I am that. And I'm working through that as God has been teaching me. One of the ways that we cope with senior adulthood is we joke about it a lot. And we find ways, Mark Lowry is famous for his very quick rattling off what he calls the battle of the bees. And it has in it things like baldness and bifocals and bunions and bulges. And it's pretty funny. And it's funny because we, we it's real, but it's funny because it's kind of a coping mechanism where we try to use humor to deal with the fact it's really, and one senior adult said this to me recently, and 
it reminded me of how many senior adults have ever said this. They said, growing old is not for wimps. And I thought, man, I'm beginning to realize that. Miss Wanda, God bless her. What a dear sister in the Lord. I was talking with her in her last weeks of life and we were sitting, was in the hospital with her and the reality of how things were probably going to end was there and it was present and so we could just talk freely about it. And Miss Wanda, in her very wry with that wry smile, said to me, she said, Bart, I'm not afraid to die. And I know where I'm going. And then she smiled and says, I'm just not excited about the trip to get there. I think that's what happens to us when the wear and tear starts to catch up with us and we start to feel the weight and the gravity of our fallen bodies. We begin thinking, you know, I, I know where I'm going and I'm not afraid to die, but I'm just not excited about the trip to get there. One of the things I love about the Scriptures, and I especially love about the Apostle Paul, is the very frank way that aging, dying, death, and eternity are dealt with. I think the age I grew up in, I was born in 62, there were things we didn't talk about in my rearing. We didn't talk about pregnancy. In fact, no one said the word. I was fairly old before I knew what that word meant. Uh, we didn't talk about dying. We didn't talk about death. We may have a occasional mention of heaven and got a lot of talk about hell. But we just didn't talk freely. In fact, as my father was dying, nobody ever told me at 17 how sick he really was. They didn't ever tell me, your dad only has so many weeks or months to live, according to the doctor. It was all just kind of, shh, we don't talk about those things. And I think that was bad. I think it was, it was not healthy. It certainly wasn't for me. Because I think Scripture is so clear and so filled with strong encouragement about how to age well, how to face the changes, and how to look forward to heaven, not morbidly sitting around wishing for death, but longingly hoping for what God is going to do to and for and with us in heaven. And so, I think that there are two primary views that we tend to fall into when we start dealing with the idea of aging. I think one of them is very unhealthy and one of them is very healthy. I think the unhealthy one is that we view it as heading forward some kind of sunset or some kind of winter. And we use those things. He's in the fall of his life entering the winter stages or he's headed toward that sunset. And the Scripture is actually opposite. I think that that fall 
toward winter idea is not in keeping with what the Scripture describes to us about the death of a believer. And I think the heading toward the sunset kind of seems like I'm, I'm, I'm going into darkness. And that's not in keeping with how the Scripture describes the aging process and the approach of death. In fact, the verse that's there in your outline, if you'll take your outline out and just look at the verse that's right under the first part of the outline, it's from Proverbs chapter 4, and it's representative of the second way that death and aging are viewed. And it's the right way, it's the scriptural way. It says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. This is so different than the idea of entering the fall and the winter of life when bleakness seems to be the future. It is very different than the way that we think of riding off into the sunset and we know that what's after the sunset is darkness and that's just not an encouraging view of how I want to ride off into the end of my life. Here the scripture says that the path of the righteousness is like the light of dawn. When when you got saved, it was the birth of a new eternal day. The moment you were born again was the dawn of your existence for eternity. And every step that you've made since then has been a journey towards not sunset, but the noonday sun. When the Bible says that in glory, the saints will shine like the light of the sun. The noonday described in the book of the Revelation that says, there will be no night and there is no need for the sun, because the light of the Lamb will illuminate them. I'm not headed for sunset. I'm 55. I'm headed for noonday. And the way the Scripture teaches it is that the glorious journey is drawing ever closer to the moment of the fulfillment of all that we have hoped for. And so therefore our yearning should increase for the kind of prayer that John prayed when he said, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So I believe that as a result of having the wrong kind of view, the first one I spoke of, the view of moving towards sunset, headed toward winter, I think that we have developed three coping mechanisms or tendencies to cope with our aging. Let's look at those for a moment, talk about them, and then look at what the Scripture says to us with just three words I want you to take home today. The first of our tendencies is the tendency to fantasize. You have heard stories of men and women entering their second childhood. 
going through this midlife crisis where in the fantasy land of their mind they're hoping to reclaim, regain their youth and their youthful experiences. Whether those were sensual things or material things or adventurous things. And you hear these stories, sadly, in Southern Baptist life and in evangelical life. Over the last few weeks we've heard the sorrowful stories of our own executive director of our Southern Baptist Convention in the late years of his life, engaging in a relationship outside of his marriage and ruining his testimony and having to resign one of the most prestigious offices ever conferred upon Southern Baptist, the executive director of the entire convention. Heartbreaking. We see people fantasize about their nostalgia, the good old days. We like to visit places that remind us of that. It's why Silver Dollar City is so popular, because it sort of fantasizes and nostalgia of trips to the outhouse like that was better than now. Have you thought that through? About the day when we used to go out and draw water from the spring and carry it back to the house as if that's better than that great cool running water in your house. But we do. We, we, we had a whole series of commercials. How many of you remember? Pepperidge Farm remembers. You remember that? It was a guy sitting in a wagon promoting bread with the idea that it's sort of a throwback to how life used to be when you had to put the wood in the stove. And these folks who say, boy, oh, remember the good old days? And I say, really? Tell me about them. Oh, we used to go out and cut the tree down and chop the wood up and put it into the oven, I mean, into the stove and heat the stove up. And I said, how's that working for you today? we got gas logs in our house. We don't want to fool with cutting wood. There's just something about it, though, that our memory tends to go backwards towards some things that are sweet in our memory, but are a little bit fantasized in their glory. Some people really err in senior adult life trying to reclaim that, trying to go back to it. And they end up obsessing with the good old days. Now, I don't want to diminish the glories of all that God has done for us in our lives and in the wonders that He's taken us through. Those are healthy. There is a side of nostalgia that is beautiful and wonderful and I think should be practiced. We need to tell the stories. I wish that I would have recorded the stories with my grandmother. If your grandmother or great-grandmother are living, get the stories on DVD. Get them recorded. Keep them because they're precious. They are a wonder and a glory and a gift. So, So take those. But listen carefully. They were not intended by God as a coping mechanism for aging. Because we can very easily get lost in the past and miss the present. What you are, where you are, right now, matters. Beyond your wildest expectations. 
I hope to explain that a little better in a moment. The second is that aging tends at times to paralyze us. When we begin to sort of uh, make our laundry lists of all the things we could do then and can't do now, we just get frozen. I've seen more than a few senior adults simply get paralyzed and ride what I call the lazy boy express into eternity. And somehow in their paralysis, they get stuck in their recliner watching all kinds of whatever it is that's being piped into our homes and just frozen, paralyzed, saying, because I can't do this or because I can't do that, I just don't feel like doing anything. I'm not talking about true disability. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about a kind of inability that comes upon us when we are discouraged by how much we can't do and are not encouraged in all that we can do. In fact, one of the scariest statements I've ever heard is this. I can't do anything now but pray. My brothers and sisters... That's one of the most ridiculous things that anyone could ever utter. One of the greatest gifts and one of the most powerful tools God has ever given to the church as an individual and corporately is the privilege of prayer. And if you get to the place that that's all you can do and you feel like it's a waste, listen, call Bart Walker's name all day, every day. Because he needs it. And so I want to encourage you. Don't get paralyzed. Don't fantasize. And the third is materialize. Very often because we cannot tangibly lay hold of all that we had hoped to be or accomplish. We become obsessed with our possessions. We become collectors instead of distributors. We become hoarders instead of helpers. And we start trying to lay hold of things, wishing that by the possession of them, to get some kind of fulfillment that we missed when we were younger. And we miss the idea that we're not a, we're, we're not a stopping place of resources. We are a, a place, we, we, we're a place that resources should pass through. Uh, make me a channel of blessing is something we've sung before. And understanding the idea that I need to not be hoarding what I have and gathering and trying by material things to get some sense of satisfaction, but I need to be distributing. And I love the fact that there is In my experience, there's never been a more generous group of people I've ever worked with than Kingsville Baptist Church. I say that before God with all integrity of my heart. I mean that. I'm not trying to pump you up falsely, but listen, I know senior adults who do without so that others can do with, and I'm amazed by it. But that spreads all through, even down to our children. I have two great pictures on my refrigerator, of two GAs who are praying for me as we get ready for our upcoming trip to Ecuador. And what a gift of time and energy and assets that is 
to us. But this danger of materializing and trying to lay hold and take hold and keep hold of stuff when really this is the time as we age that we need to be parting it out and doing all we can. I remember Johnny Hunt sharing with a guy, uh, the, the man was a senior adult and he told Johnny one day, he said, Brother Johnny, I, I want to tell you something. I've got you and your church in my will. And, and he told him the amount of money that he was going to leave him. And Johnny just stopped him and he says, I want to I ask you something. He said, wouldn't you rather see what it does? Wouldn't you rather see right now what it does? Not just in your will, but wouldn't you rather, if you have it, wouldn't you rather invest it now and actually watch what happens with it? And the guy said, you're right. And the man gave Johnny an enormous amount of money for a ministry, not to Johnny, but for a ministry that their church is doing, which unbelievably helped what they're doing in missions and ministry. And the guy got to watch it. So let's be not hoarders, but let's be distributors. So how do we work through that? So here we go. Let's, let's look at it. Number one, Jesus is compassionately aware of our hurts. I want to tell you, I'm going to just say it, it hurts to get old. I'm just going to say it. I don't want to romanticize it. I don't want to turn it, make it worse than it is, uh, or better than, I just, it hurts to get old. You begin finding out what Clint Eastwood meant when he said, a man's got to know his limitations. I'm learning that. It hurts to get old. The Apostle Paul worked through that in such a way as to kind of lay out for us in Romans 8 how that looks. Come with me real quick. First he mentions the fall. This is the source of our hurts. He says in Romans chapter 8, Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 19, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Okay, we got that. And then it says, For the creation was subjected to futility. So the subjection is called the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. That's the fall. Sin touched everything in the universe. And as a result of the fall, it made life difficult and it made aging hard and hurtful. The longer we live, the more sorrows we have the potential of seeing, the more loss we have the potential of experiencing the more limitations that we feel on our body from seeing to hearing to mobility to other kinds of failures in our body. The longer we live, the more potential we have for the hurts of this life to sort of pack up and, and, and stack up and really begin to affect our disposition towards others and ourselves and toward God. But then he mentions another thing, and that is futility. He says not only was it subjected, it was subjected to something. It was subjected to futility. That means aging is not getting better. Aging is getting worse. The older your car gets, the worse it gets. The older your house gets, the worse it gets. It is a process. Even trees, as long as they live with the many, many old trees that we have, they're still getting worse with age and more prone to have things like disease 
just like us. So there's a futility to it. And he says, for the whole creation was subjected to futility. So there was the fall, that was the subjection because of sin. There was the futility, what we were subjected to. And then there's a third thing that he raises here, and that's our feelings about it. Because of the fall and because of the futility, we begin to groan. That's our hurts. And so he lays it out in verse 22 of Romans 8. He says, for we know that the whole creation groans. And then he says, and not only this, verse 23, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan. Jump with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for just a moment. Because the Apostle Paul uses similar language there, but as I shared last week, he actually fleshes it out just a little bit further than he does here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, here's what he says. Verse 7, For we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know what he's telling you? You're fragile. Go down to verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying. What is he saying? Well, the word here means to rust out. So as you age, you're not just fragile and becoming more fragile. You're decaying and becoming more decayed. That's very discouraging. That's why we groan. That's why we... And so he goes on and he says further... He says in verse 5, of verse 1 of chapter 5, look in 2 Corinthians 5, 1. For we know that the earthly tent, which is our house, if it's torn down, we have a building with God. What's he talking about? Well, he gives you a word for your body. He says earthly tent. Tent is a temporal shelter. So here's what God says about your body as you age. First, it's fragile. Second, it's decaying. And third, it's like a tent. It's temporal. That's just not encouraging. That's why we groan. So what does Paul do? Verse 2 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, he says, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed. Verse 4, For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan. What's he saying? Getting older is hard. He just says it. He is really clear that Jesus understands your hurts. Who taught Paul all this? Jesus did. Who wanted Paul to tell you? Jesus did. Jesus is the one who says things like, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus says that He looked out upon the people They were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And it says he had compassion on them. Jesus compassionately comprehends, understands, knows your hurts. I want you to be aware that as you age, Jesus truly understands. And in his word, he had his writers, his apostles, his followers lay out for us clear teaching that he understands our groaning. He understands our suffering. He understands our aging. He understands suffering whether it's just a result of the fall and the futility, or whether it's a result of persecution and affliction, or whether it's the result of some kind of self-inflicted foolishness. Jesus understands all of that. 
And he cares compassionately. Let's move to the second part in Romans 8 of what I wanted to share with you that will set us up for the final word I want you to take home. The first word was hurts. (laughs) Getting old hurts. Jesus compassionately understands that. But I want you to take the next word in chapter 8. It's found in verse 24 of chapter 8. For in hope we have been saved. So the first word is hurt. I want you to take that home. Jesus understands. Aging hurts. He compassionately comprehends aging hurts. But Jesus has not left you without hope. Because of what Jesus has done for you, He has given you hope. Hope that what you're suffering is not forever. Hope that what you're going through is temporal. It's not going to go on and on and on. Hope that there's a restoration, a reclamation. Hope that something is going to change. Now the first thing I want you to know about that hope, so write in in your your outline, because of Jesus we have hope. The first thing I want you to know is that your hope is anchored in Jesus. The book of Hebrews talks about in chapter 6 that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. And so my hope is not anchored in my performance, my ability. It's not anchored in what I can do or what I can accomplish. My hope is anchored that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ ascended and sits at the right hand of God. And Jesus Christ right now is interceding for me as I age and deal with those things. So my hope is anchored in Jesus. Second, my hope is anticipating adoption. Look in verse 23. Here's the groaning of Romans 8. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. What does that mean? Well, there is... Two step, uh, there are two steps in adoption. First, there is the official paperwork where you are written as and accepted by and stated by the courts that you are adopted. That happens. I remember when Stacy and Dan Prestridge uh, got in touch with me and told me that everything had cleared. They had gone and they had visited Nadezda in Russia. They loved her. And finally everything came together and the paperwork was signed. At that moment, Nadezda fully, totally, absolutely belonged to Dan and Stacy. She had parenthood with them. They had childhood with her. It was done deal. But there was one issue. They had to go get her. Listen, you are adopted and your paperwork is signed by the blood of Jesus. But He hasn't picked you up yet. He's coming to get you. There's this moment called Gotcha Day. Dan and Stacy flew over to Russia. Walked up in that orphanage. 
Nadezda still living in all of the rough conditions of that orphanage? She was their child. They were her parents. But they walked right up to that place that she was staying and they picked her up and they said, we got you. Listen, at the moment of your death, if you are a believer, it's got you day. And Jesus is going to send his holy angels to come to you. And wherever you are on that day, he is going to reach down and he is going to, by his angels, he's going to lay hold of you and he's going to say, gotcha. And that's the moment that you're going to begin to enjoy the fullness of your adoption. Oh, it's signed. It's sealed. It's assured. And the Holy Spirit is here to help us. We're going to talk about that. But right now, you have not yet had the fullness of this adoption. He says, what are we doing? We're groaning. What are we waiting for? Our adoption. But back here in chapter 8 earlier, it says, you already have adoption. How is it? Because there's a difference between the paperwork and the pickup. And God's coming to get you, and He's going to pick you up, and He's going to take you home, and He's got you. And you know, then that Desmond's been enjoying the beauty of that and the fruit of that for these years now since that time is glorious. Listen carefully. Your hope is anchored in Jesus, but it is still anticipating. There's one other part. You are awaiting redemption. Notice what happens there with adoption. Look in the last part of verse 23. Awaiting eagerly our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Listen, this old rusting out body that I stand in line at McDonald's and get tagged as a senior adult, I am getting a new body. I'm getting one. You're getting as a believer, you get a new body. Whatever it is you got going on in your body right now, I'll tell you something. You're not going to have to deal with that later. I don't know what your limitations are. I don't know what your suffering is. I don't know what your, 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 it could be mobility. It could be mental. Whatever it is that's going on, I want you to know that's not going to be happening anymore. This redemption is drawing nigh closer and closer and closer. Okay. So let's close it. How am I going to get from the day that my papers for adoption are signed to the day that I get picked up? How am I going to live in my orphanage with sanity? How am I going to make it through the aging, the hurts? How am I going to make it through clinging to my hope? So here we go. To sustain us in our hurts. And to keep hope alive in Jesus, in us, Jesus has sent us help. Look at the sweetness of verse 26 of Romans 8. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. I don't know what your weakness is. I don't know. I know that I have a laundry list of them that are ugly. I don't like them. But God has not left me in the orphanage that I'm living in right now without some assurance and some ability to prepare for that moment of gotcha day when I meet the Lord and see Him face to face. He's not left me without that. He's given me help. In John chapter 16, Jesus said, I'm leaving. 
but I'm going to send you the Helper. And the Helper is the Holy Spirit. And He puts Him in us. And that Helper sustains us in our hurts and keeps hope alive in us by His presence and by His power to do two things. Now, here's where the heart of what I wanted to tell you is. Come with me, Philippians 1. There's just this great example here of what ought to be happening in every one of us because I think this shows the best healthy balance between longing to stay here and longing to be there. Between longing to live presently in this body and longing to live eternally with Jesus. It's in Philippians chapter 1. He gives it to us and I'm going to share two things about it and then encourage you as we depart. So in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So here's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit right now in the believer is to get us to do two things. One is to treasure Christ and His work right now. That's the work of the Spirit. To treasure Christ and His work right now. To treasure all the influence that we have toward lost people that they may be saved. Toward saved people that they may be encouraged and built up and strengthened and reproved and rebuked and exhorted, whatever way. To treasure that. To treasure gospel ministry in the now. Paul said, to live is Christ. That is now treasuring Him and His work. That's what you get to do now. You say, wait a minute. Man, I've seen people who got older and they got to the place where they could do nothing but be cared for. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says, So death works in us, but life in you. When you are on your dying bed and you can do nothing but be cared for, the people that God is influencing by needing to care for you is working life in them. You must trust that when you are incapacitated to do anything, That God is working in the lives of those who care for you the very things they need to know about life and godliness and eternity. When you can do nothing, God appoints and ordains that their actual care for you is gospel learning for them. They need that. They need you when the only thing they can do is care for you. They need you. Don't ever think differently. It's a lie from Satan to think that a cheap, easy, early exit is a relief to anybody around you. God ordains life and death and He will use you until your last breath, even when you don't know that you could be used. Stop frowning on invalids. Stop frowning on your own invalidness. God is not wasting a drop of human existence in the economy of the gospel. This is important for us. And so the Apostle Paul wants us to understand, to live as Christ. Listen how he describes it. Listen. The next verse, verse 22. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. 
What fruitful labor? The guy's in jail! Paul knew that just being in jail, if the only thing he could do was pray, that was enough. That was it. If the only thing he could do was need and be tended to, that was enough. That's fruitful labor. Wherever God has you, whether it is in prison or whatever, when He has you in His hand and you understand to treasure Christ and His work, fruitful labor will happen through your life. Fruitful labor in a prison? Yes. That's where we got this letter from. The letter of Philippians came from a jail cell. And what an encouragement. For millions, if not billions, has been this fruitful moment in Paul's life. And so he's treasuring. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in Paul. Paul, I want you to treasure where you are. I want you to treasure what you are. I want you to treasure it because this is God's will for you now. And He's using you. Treasure Christ and His present work. So no matter how aged, how infirm, how unable any of us become, treasure that God is at work in that moment. Even in the ones who have to do the hardest labor to take care of us. God is using that for fruitful labor. But listen to what he says next. He says, but verse 23, But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that's very much better. So what is Paul saying here? Here's the work of the Spirit to help us in our hurts and to encourage us in our hopes. What Paul says is, here's the healthy balance. You need to be so treasuring Christ and His work now that you want to stay for the sake of His work. But turn it around. He also wants you to treasure the wonder of Jesus' presence so that you'll want to go be with Him. This is the work of the Spirit too. The work of the Spirit will create a bit of, and I don't know how to use the word, I don't want to use it offensively, but it will create a little bit of kind of schizophrenia in our mind. Our mind will be divided. One part of our mind will say, Lord, I'd love to stay in labor. I'd love to stay in labor. I'd love to stay in work. If I stay, it'll be fruitful labor. Lord, I'd love to stay. I would just, yes. Oh, but Jesus! I'd love to go! Because to depart and be with Christ. Oh. And here's the language we get at funerals. Everybody walks up to grandma or grandpa's casket and they say this. He or she is in a better. Here's Paul's language. You got it from Paul. He says... For that is very much better. The end of verse 23 in chapter 1. That is very much better. We're saying better because Paul is saying better because Jesus showed him better because guess who got to gaze into heaven? Paul did. He got to look over the rim one day and see things that he could never tell us about. But all he could do is write to us and say, it's better. (laughs) It's better. So here's the schizophrenia that comes with this. I don't mean mental schizophrenia, and if you've dealt with that, I'm, I'm not trying to be offensive, but, but it is a divided mind. 
On the one hand, every one of us should really want to stay here and do Jesus' work because we treasure Him and His work. Lost people are dying and going to hell. We need to be treasuring Jesus and His work here. We need to. And Paul said, man, if I stay, fruitful labor. Yeah, we got this letter, fruitful labor. We got other letters from this after this. More evangelism for Paul. Wonderful. He got to stay for a while. But on the other hand, there should not be a single one of us today who is not by the Holy Spirit yearning to see the face of Jesus. Jesus says it. In John 17, He says, Father, this is my prayer for those that You've given Me, that they may be with Me in order that they may behold My glory. Please hear me. Every longing that you have ever, 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 ever had will be filled that day. When you see Jesus, every longing ever, in that moment, there will be such a gospel glorious revelation of who God is to us in Jesus, that all of the pleasures of God will be poured upon us in ways that Paul calls joy inexpressible. And so every one of us should leave here with a divided mind. Half of us saying, or half of me saying, man, I want to stay here. I love this fruitful labor. I want, even if my kids have to change my diaper. Listen now. I want to be here if that's what they need. And on the other side, Every one of us need to walk out of here saying, I want to be with Jesus. So much so that Paul says, I am hard pressed from both directions. Now, how does God work this? This is the close. His Holy Spirit is urging you to prayer. That's what Romans 8 says. That the Holy Spirit of God is pressing you towards prayer so that even when you don't know how to pray, He's groaning for you to God the Father on your behalf so that you will do two things. Treasure Christ and His work here and treasure the wonder of seeing Him there. So what is God's Spirit working in you? Helping you to cling to the hope? He's helping you treasure Christ's work and person here and treasure Christ's presence and wonder there so that you literally have joy in either one. If He leaves you, you take joy because He's using you. If He takes you, have joy because you're going to see Him. This is how God's Spirit Helps the hurting keep their hope. Would you bow with me? Could you this morning pray with Paul and say, Lord, I have the desire to depart and be with you. That's better. But, O Lord, You've given me today 
And I am here. And I want you to use me because I treasure Jesus and I treasure His work. And if you're going to keep me here even in suffering for the sake of the gospel, even in disability, inability, I want to embrace that in such a way that I believe it is fruitful labor. Give me that kind of joy. I know it's only possible, O Lord, by Your Holy Spirit. And so I'm praying in the Spirit now, O God, help me pray. Groan in me, groan through me, groan with me, that I may want to treasure Christ now and His work, and oh, that I may want to be with Christ in the wonder of His presence. Work in me, God, by Your Spirit. Help me. Because I hurt. Keep my hope alive. Some of you are here today and you don't have this. You don't have a relationship with God that gives you this kind of hope. You don't have a relationship with God that gives you this kind of help. But I want to invite you to it. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is God's Son. God in human skin. And He was sent here by God to live perfectly the way you couldn't and wouldn't. He was sent here to die as your substitute in a way that you never would want to. And to affirm that Jesus sufficiently did the living and the dying on your behalf, God raised Him from the dead to prove it. And if you would turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus, He would save you today. And He would grant you an eternal hope and put in you an eternal help that will allow you to deal with the hurts that you have today. Would you call upon Him with me right now? Pray with me. Dear God in heaven, I believe this. I believe Jesus is your Son. And He lived for me. But He was perfect. And He died for me. Because that's what I deserve. And I believe He was raised from the dead. And I place my faith in Him right now. And I ask You to forgive me of my sins as I turn away from my sin in myself and follow Jesus. God, thank You for this offer of salvation in Jesus' name. Senior adults, I want to encourage you. God is at work. Would you stand as God works in your heart? Would you respond to Him?